Jerry Faulkner, an auto worker employed by Chrysler for 24 years, saw the creature in the summer of 1982 while he was still in high school. His sighting occurred on Sheldon Road, which runs north out of Rochester between the Ball Mountain Recreation Area and the Stony Creek Metropolitan Park. He wrote to me in March 2009, and I interviewed him at length. It was early spring, about 50 degrees out, he told me, and at the time there was an old gravel pit we called The Hill. There were holes and construction digouts, and the Paint Creek ran through there into the Clinton River. Oakland County was more blue-collar then. I was hanging out with my buddies around 10.30 to 11 p.m. with a bonfire. We were four-wheeling, not drinking or smoking, and I had walked to the other side of a pile of shingles to go to the bathroom. I knew there was something standing behind me. I just turned around and had a big shock. It was a foot from my face. Jerry found himself staring into the yellowish eyes of an upright dog-like creature. Its arms were at its side, and he had the feeling it was checking him out. If those arms would have come up, I'd have fainted, he added. He estimated it stood over seven feet tall since the six-foot Jerry stood elevated on a pile of debris and he was face-to-face with the creature as its tongue lolled over one side of its jaw. Its waist was tapered and appeared to have thick shoulders. It had a huge head, shaggy brown fur from the shoulders down, so thick it almost looked like a cape. It looked more like a dog. I could see its teeth. Its teeth were canine. I could feel and smell its breath. It smelled musky or gamey. Jerry's friends had been preparing to leave and were already waiting for him in his Jeep about 40 feet away. Jerry made a mad dash for the car. I ran as fast as I could, he said. It was horrible. I didn't look back. That was just as well, since the creature was chasing him on two feet. Jerry made it to the car and took off, and the creature followed them for about a quarter of a mile, alternating between two and four feet before disappearing into the brush. Jerry still wonders what exactly it was. No way it was a wolf standing up, he said. I've hunted my whole life and have seen wolves. Till this day, I've never been that terrified. Never in my life did I think things like that existed. I have chills right now, 27 years later. The gravel pit is no longer there, said Jerry. A high school was built in the area, which has been generally improved since then. But he and his buddies never went four-wheeling there again. My ghosties, my ghoulies, and my moth people. Welcome to Noctivigant, the show about the strange, paranormal, otherworldly, and the people who write books about it. My name is Nick, and I am joined, as always, by the dynamic duo of Jay and Rory Wicks. Hello. Hi. And as a special treat today, we are joined by a new guest. He is saucy. He is spooky. He is packed full of chicken. It is none other than the Paranormal Burrito. On this show, we are going to discuss, dissect, and review the best and worst in the world of paranormal and conspiracy literature. So settle in, buckle up, and prepare for a walk on the midnight roads of Noctivigant. All right. So, uh, hey guys, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Ready to talk about some dog man. Yeah. Jay, how's it going? I'm having a fantastic night. Great. I mean, it's a great night because we are joined by my favorite Mexican dish. 
a burrito? Yeah, a burrito. And, uh, we On the line, we have Caleb from the Paranormal Burrito, a fantastic interview podcast. Uh, Caleb, if you'd like, would you like to introduce yourself to our viewers as well as uh, talk a little bit about your podcast? No. Okay. um yeah i'm caleb i am the uh host and uh creator of the paranormal burrito um a name that i came up with when i was looking at a band named generator and the paranormal burrito showed up and i was like that's the name of my podcast and i stuck with it um (laughs) it's a wonderful name also i gotta say uh your your intro music really pops yeah like yeah. It, get, it gets me going every time yeah. i load up an episode <laughs> it's a bop for my sure. intro music is by the wonderful beautiful amazing person that is jonathan mann if you guys have ever listened to um sleep with me podcast that's the most popular podcast that he's done um, he does like ad segments for them. Well, he'll like do a jingle for whatever, like for the Casper mattresses or whatever, whatever he's advertising on the podcast. And I just reached out to him because he was like, Hey, I'll write a song for any reason at all. And I was like, I want a song for my podcast too. <laughs> and I was like, make it spooky, scary skeletons in that theme and make it like cute horror. And he was like, I got you, bro. Yeah, and he got me. It's yeah. like, really got me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a really cool, almost ska version of the Monster Mash. I mean, I wouldn't. I yes, would, I wouldn't classify it. At, you know, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. So, are we ready to dig into the Michigan Mothman, werewolves, and other canines across the USA by Linda Godfrey? As much as I want to be a ska it. purist right now, yeah, let's do it. Did I? I was wondering. Yes, I think you said Michigan Mothman. I okay. heard Mothman. I was like, yeah. I didn't get to the part where Mothman shows up. Uh, the Mothman oops. cameo. It's okay. Michigan Dogman. And as three Michiganders, that's all I got. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> Good talk. All right. So, the Michigan Dogman, Werewolves and Other Canines Across the USA by Linda S. Godfrey is, as one might guess, a book of supposed sightings of real-life werewolves and other types of upright canine cryptids across the United States of America, with a particular focus on the legend of the Michigan Dogman. Notably no Mothman. Yes, notably no Mothman. Like the Mothman. See, I'm forcing you to keep this in. Yeah, there is is Baboon Men. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy on witness anecdotes, the book can best be described as a carefully curated listing of known Wolfman encounters that the author has collected over a lifetime of fieldwork. Arranged by geographic area, each chapter of the book focuses on a different state, or in the case of Michigan and Wisconsin, the primary hunting ground of the Dogman, different sections of the state. She then concludes this exhaustive exploration of witness anecdotes with some theorizing about the nature of the beast, which will be the focus of our discussion today. However, before we begin, it's important to note what this book is not. As Godfrey writes in her introduction, I quote, I wish to make it perfectly clear that these are eyewitness reports, which in themselves are not conclusive proof. The evidence for unknown upright canines is mostly anecdotal, save for some photographs of footprints, and that, quote, these reports may be considered entertainment, food for thought, 
or an anecdotal database. They do not constitute an excuse for armed expeditions or trespassing on private property, which, given the fact that she's written other books about werewolves, makes me think some people had just that reaction in some of her previous books, and yeah. I want to hear that story. Well, remember, I really appreciate how honest she is about yeah. that. Like, yeah. you don't get that with a lot of paranormal books. She's like, look... I just collected these. I find them interesting. Maybe you do too. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. No, that's I, cool, Linda. I, see, this is, this is a positive way to write down people's stories. <laughs> Unlike what Len Caston did in Alien World Order. We have moved on from that. We are. I, my therapist says I shouldn't dwell anymore on that book. Um, now, my lawyer said the same thing for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> now, it is also important to understand the origins of the Dogman legend. While Wolfman sightings have been recorded in Michigan since the legends of the Lou Garou in 1700s Detroit and the oral traditions of the Ottawa tribe in the Manistee River area, it was not until 1987 that the legend of the Dogman would reach mainstream awareness on the winds of a parody song released by Steve Cook, a Traverse City radio personality. Combining an entirely fictionalized dogman encounter with local urban legends, he wrote The Legend about a ferocious half-dog, half-man creature that stalks the forest of Michigan. Upon releasing the song, Cook was surprised to begin receiving calls from listeners who claimed to have encountered a beast of the same description. Cook would even go on to further the legend when he and filmmaker Micah Grusa created the fraudulent Gable film, which depicts a ferocious attack by a suspected dogman. Cook and Agrusa would later admit they had hoaxed the video on a 2010 episode of Monster Quest. However, despite this admission, the sightings continued, and belief in the North American Wolfman has only increased as the years have gone by. And it is through these witness testimonies that a noticeable pattern emerges, which some believe are consistent enough to indicate that there is a real living population of wolfmen in this country. Wolfmen and dogmen, we'll use these terms fairly synonymously, are reportedly between five and seven feet tall, are covered in shaggy fur ranging from dark brown to gray, are long of snout and pointy of ear. When compared to the Hollywood wolfmen we all know, most witnesses say it looks most like the werewolf depicted in the 2004 Hugh Jackman vehicle, Van Helsing. Though, as a quick aside, I'd say they look close. They sounds like they look closer to the werewolves from the movie Dog Soldiers. See, and I was thinking a little bit closer to uh, like Prisoner of Azkaban, Lupin's werewolf. I could see that the the kind of mate like anorexic werewolf yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though I do want to say, uh, Van Helsing, dope ass movie. I think you're, you know the funny thing is like I don't disagree with you. It's a fun movie. Yeah, but I like, know a lot of people like, hate are, that movie. You are such a, a dramatic minority. <laughs> no, I know, and I, I I I get it. I know objectively, not a great movie. But you know what? I had a fucking blast watching it, and that's good enough for me. Fair. Some of your I pop mean, culture opinions are just swinging a bat at a hornet's nest. <laughs> I think I think I for, mean, go ahead. they just recently put Green Lantern on Netflix and it's like the number five movie on Netflix right now. And I'm just like, what reality are we going through right yeah, now? Like that movie is an atrocity. Green Lantern's getting a second. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we get uh, over this? Didn't well, we settle this? Remember how when the sequel trilogy came out from Disney and everyone decided they liked the Star Wars prequels now? Mm. And like, I liked that. I liked those before too. Yes, you liked those before. Something about the new movies coming out made a bunch of people who hated the prequels go. Actually, I was wrong. This Actually. is real Star Wars, <laughs> and I'm like, you're mad about the girl. Okay. Yeah. 
sorry. Are you <laughs> sure that it's not just like the lizard people controlling it? Ah, sorry. We are done. <laughs> <laughs> Most notable is their ability to move on four and two legs, switching between the two at will, often mid-run and without losing any of their incredible speed. Sightings often occur along lonely stretches of road late at night, where many witnesses claim to see the beast feeding on roadkill before it bounds away into the darkened forest. The Dogman also seems to prefer areas that are wooded, near water, plentiful with game, and strangely, areas which were once Native American sacred sites. As Godfrey notes, many sightings occur in close vicinity to Native earthworks, such as the burial mounds which dot the Michigan and Wisconsin wilderness. And finally, we have similar behavior. The Dogmen have seldom attacked anyone that we know of. What they do do, however, is menace people. Seemingly more interested in freaking people out than mauling them, the beast has often exhibited a flighty, somewhat skittish nature when confronted. Those rare stories in which the beast shows aggression usually only go so far as to claw up a truck, kill a family dog, or, in one case, the slaughter of an entire missile silo full of pigeons. R.I.P. boys. <laughs> that is, unless those who see the beast's mean side simply never make it back to sell the story. Which brings us to our first discussion question. Woo. Before we go too much further into this book, let's talk Dogman. While once considered a bit of a D-list cryptid, closer to a local urban legend, it has since seen a surge in popularity following the Monster Quest episodes, the fraudulent Gable film, the work of researchers like Godfrey, and the proliferation of blurry, maybe Dogman pictures that have flooded internet platforms such as Reddit or Instagram. So, I want to establish a baseline understanding of where we all came from regarding this topic. Had you heard of the Dogman or, quote, real Wolfman sightings before this book? And what was your opinion on the reality of such creatures? And did this book change that opinion? I want to go last. <laughs> okay, uh, I can go first. Go for it. Uh, yes, I have. I have heard of the Michigan Dogman before this, and I have feared the Michigan Dogman before this, as I think is the smart and rational decision. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't actually learn about it from Monster Quest. No, I, I had to learn about it from a shitty ripoff of Monster Quest that is called Monsters and Mysteries in America. They were the ones that broke the news to me. Um, if you've never heard of that show, there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, they have a tendency to not cover. Um, I can't even say this is an insane thing to say. They don't even cover like, quote unquote, real cryptids. They cover like creepy pastas. Okay. <laughs> like they had it just, just like and this and this week we're delving into the rake. Rake's not a thing. How they talk. Yes, and I don't know. I don't remember how they talk. Because <laughs> I need to watch that show if that's how they talk. <laughs> we're diving into the rake this week. It's like that's not real. That was made up on the internet, but they're they're the ones who and it's real now because of your stupid show and the phenomenon. The phenomenon. Thank you. Thank you. Moving you mean on. Slenderman isn't real? Well, Slenderman is totally real now. Yeah, it's a He's tulpa. Real than we, me. We've, we've made it real. <laughs> it's absolutely a tulpa. Yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah, I have I have heard of the Michigan Dogman, and I I believe some of the I believe some of the sightings in this book sound plausible, and I think Dogman is obviously a plausible thing. Um, my only other frame of reference to this is was is a um a crossover with like my true crime hobby because 
werewolves get brought up a lot in as like a thing that you can compare certain types of serial killers to. And there's a lot of talk in that community about tracing the history of criminology back to back when people were accused of being werewolves if they were caught committing particularly vicious and brutal murders that may involve things like dismemberment and cannibalization. You mean like the mad butcher? Like the mad butcher. Yes. And um, it, it was also a very common thing that if you found a crime scene like that before, like in like the medieval period going up through the 1500s, if you found a crime scene like that, there was an assumption that no human being would be able to like stoop to dismembering children or like eating parts of another person that was specifically Europeans didn't believe that other white people were capable of doing such things. So if you found like a castle where the Lord's family had been butchered or a village where like three houses, three households were slaughtered, the assumption by the church and local authorities was that a werewolf had done it. So that's kind of an interesting cross section of my hobbies. It's almost surprising that there wasn't more people thinking like the Ripper was a werewolf. Uh, by the time that Jack the Ripper became a thing, those super those superstitions had largely faded from the consciousness because and. Uh, Interesting tangent. That is one of the that is one of the things that marks the shift between um, a Catholic structure being the dominant power in Europe and a Protestant structure, because Protestants are much less willing at the at that era to believe in things like that. They considered it ungodly and the work of the devil to perpetuate those myths. OK, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Caleb, what about you? So what really interested me when you guys uh, gave me the list of books, I was like, oh, werewolves, because um, one of my favorite podcasts and actually the podcast that kind of got me into doing a paranormal podcast is called Knock Once for Yes. And they're from Britain and um, they talk about the black dog um, ghostly figure. Black, and I really wanted to dog. see like. Yeah. 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 The black phantom dog. And I was like, that sounds a little, the dog man and this black phantom dog sounds like they could cross over with this phenomenon and everything. Um, and basically this cool guy, he has little, he's more like a ghost than like a werewolf, but he has like red eyes. And if he appears to you, it's like an omen of your death. Um, he's been rumored to like, have places of execution and along like ancient pathways. So they did a whole episode about it. If um, whoever's listening, go listen to knock once for yes, um, because they're a great, but I like, I like hearing like different regionalisms, you know, and how they come together and, well, and actually, Diverge. it's interesting because I I don't we don't have many stories here in the summary about that, but in this book there are ha were several sightings of black wolves with red glowing eyes. That, That's what, yeah, yeah, that got something. Those got attributed to the dog man, but I guess really, what is the big? What, you know, what's the difference when you really get down to the brass tacks? A supernatural wolfish creature. I mean, and it makes sense too if you think about it, because uh, a lot like look at. We're a temperate climate area. A lot of the area over there is a temperate climate area. Mm -hmm. So mm. it breeds the the same kind of uh, uh, creatures anyway, or at least of similar nature. So I, I mean, hey, that well, seems totally plausible to me. Well, and also interesting, if you look at it from a kill perspective, culturally, there's a lot 
about our cultural myths that are mirrored in England. Like yes. a lot oh, yeah. of mm-hmm. a lot of our culture comes mm-hmm. from there. A lot of the uh, I guess psychological conditioning we go through comes from there. So I could see that. What if you know because of Kiel's phenomena, we generate similar phenomena. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say another link in that chain of phenomenon is the idea that creatures like that that are indigenous cultural figures to ethnic and cultural groups will follow their people when they migrate to mm. a new land of it's like a lot of irish americans are like no the fae are here too if they weren't here before they came with us look at the french werewolf it absolutely followed the french yeah. to michigan yeah the which is actually interesting so we don't didn't have room in here to talk about it too much but the lou garou sightings uh, from 1700s to Detroit, they've they've kind of entered into the realm of apocryphal legends. Mm-hmm. But uh, they what's very interesting to me is that some of the information I found on the Gross Point uh, Historical Society webpage about those legends, because you guys should go read them. There are two great legends written up there about encounters with the Lou Guru, which was a bit more, I guess, less bestial than a lot of the Dogman sightings. It was much more of a cunning kind of seducer. It would tended to try to steal away young, beautiful women. Um but what's interesting is that supposedly there was a uh, there were some natives at the time who, while talking with the Frenchman about the Lugaru, said, "No, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that came with you. That is not something that's ours to deal with." <laughs> Which uh, I found fascinating because, like, what if every society has a werewolf, and do all mm. those werewolves meet up? Do they ha- do they have a conference at the Days Inn? I need to know a werewolf convention. Convention. Convection, yeah. Gosh, convection. I mean, I guess it depends um, on how you look at werewolves, right? Are they? I mean, we're gonna get into. Yeah, it, we'll so get into it. Never mind. Yeah, I, I was just gonna bring up with um, with your point of like it kind of crossing over with true crime. Like one of the more famous kind of examples is Sherlock Holmes with the Hounds of Hounds of, of Baskerville. Of, of, uh, yep. Baskerville, yeah. Like, um, I find that story. really interesting how Conan Doyle wrote on that. Like it was even popular back when he yeah. was writing books 10,000 years ago or whenever, well, and supposedly, whatever that was. <laughs> well, I mean, if you also supposedly, now granted, again, this might be apocryphal. This is something that I came across on some paranormal website at some point, but there was even supposedly um, black dog sightings in in the Whitechapel area while the Ripper was hunting. Oh, so if, oh, you know, if, if they are an omen of death, it could be that those spirits congregate around uh, people who are going to going to kill other people. I mean, it would make sense, right? Because one of the biggest I mean, the black phantom dog, one of the biggest things about it is that it is uh, a representation of the grim, right? Grim, you see the grim, you're facing death. Mm-hmm. So I in a weird way, that kind of uh, adds up. Yeah. So, so Rory, I think you're, uh, you're, you're up. Are we here? Is it my turn? Yeah, I think it's your turn. (laughs) Um, so prior to this, even though I'm a Michigander, I I had very little knowledge of Dogman Mm -hmm. or really much in the world of cryptids. It just hasn't been my forte. However, now that I've read this book, I am about 70% sure that I've seen Dogman. Really? Or at least something. I mean, you can't you can't just dangle that and not I, go into it. That's why I wanted to go last. Oh. Um, so when I was this was not long after I moved to uh Novi, Michigan. Okay. Well, I guess a few years, because I was in seventh grade. 
And I would, when I got home from school, it was always just like, it was just me that got home for like, and my parents were working still. And I, a lot of times when I would come home, I would walk to the backyard and go in through the back door for whatever reason. The way that our house was laid out, there's like trees to my left and the house to my right, like tree, like it was like pine trees. Mm -hmm. And then there's a clear shot straight to the backyard. Now my backyard at the, at this house was fairly, fairly large. Um, because it went, I backed up all the way to the woods that have now been torn down and subdivisions have been put in there. But before it was a really nice wooded area, uh, that I used to hang out in and we had a volleyball court in front, just in front of the woods inside the volleyball court chilling. There was the biggest fucking wolf thing I had ever seen in my life. And it was deep brown in color. And as soon as I crossed the threshold into my backyard, it stood up and looked directly at me. Four legs or two? It was four legs, but it wasn't normal. Like, that's why it sticks with me is like, like uh, that area is notorious for having coyotes. So my brain immediately went, that's a coyote, but coyotes are thin and they're small. Yeah. This thing was, I mean, because I had the volleyball court to compare it to in size and it looked like it was stretching around five to six feet in length. Oh, wow. And so another thing, when you see coyotes, they're usually pretty sleek in the way that their their fur is on their body. It's yeah. not like mangled or mangy or anything like that. Normally, this thing had fur sticking up on its shoulders specifically and only there. Huh. That's weird. Yeah, it's fucking wild. Did, and, I, and I know I've told you this story before. That I I'd did not seen, remember it. Well, because I always told it as a coyote. Oh. But now after reading this book, I'm not convinced <laughs> that it was a coyote where, where did that thing, Where did what happened? Did it leave? I have no idea because I turned around and fucked off it's, into the wind. And you know, what's, you know what's interesting is there's a ton of stories in this book where people did exactly that when they saw it. They didn't even really think about, about what they saw like, until later. Should, that's, that is exactly what, what made me go, exactly oh my God, like did this, I see a fucking dog man or a grim or yeah. something? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, it's fucking, it was, it, and like the entire time I was reading this book is fucking with me. The whole time I was like, I have to and talk guys, about it yeah, on the show. You're in Michigan, Because right? I'm like, convinced that that like now, or almost convinced now that that is what I saw. And it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, right. Yeah. And here's the thing. There are huh. sightings in this book in Oakland County, which is where I was. Actually, the, uh. The sighting I read for is, the cold open happened in Rochester wow. Hills, which is only about 40 minutes from here. Yeah. And from where I was living, maybe 25 minutes. Yeah. So you were we, we, you were in dot do, dogman territory for sure. And uh, I was and I lived at a house that backed up to woods that were very old. Yeah. Congrats. You, you might have. I mean, you got to go compare notes with our buddy, Matt. He claims to have seen one, too. I know. I know. All right, so uh, before we move on, I wanted to real quick comment my where I came from on this. I had heard of the Dogman. I had read a lot about the Dogman, and I was 90% sure it wasn't real. Uh, this book has moved that to 50-50, uh, which is about where most cryptids are for me, in the sense that I could accept that they're not real, I could accept they are real, and I, I'm okay with that. I, yeah. I, I'm very comfortable with ambiguity. Um, 
Now, moving into our next section, rather than bore you all with an endless list of sightings and encounters, which are kind of interesting to read, but they'd be pretty dull here, I have instead broken the summary down into various ideas that Godfrey presents regarding the nature of the beast, as found in chapters 24 through 26 of the book. We will then try to find a few sightings from earlier chapters which support each hypothesis. And first on that list is the Transformers hypothesis, popularized by ancient legend and modern movie magic. Put simply, this idea posits that dogmen are the result of some sort of transformation, be it willing or not, of a human being into a beast. While Godfrey does go out of her way to emphasize the scientific impossibility of this idea, there are some who believe the transformation is more spiritual in nature, and as such, may not be bound by the hard walls of modern science. To support this idea, she submits the story of Hollywood scriptwriter Chuck Crisafulli, author of the Jack Nicholson werewolf feature, Wolf. According to Crisafulli, the script was partially inspired by an experience he had in the early 1980s in a remote area of Michigan. I just wish he had made the movie better. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. Uh, Crisafulli reported that he had been hearing wolves outside his home for several nights and was having difficulty sleeping, when one night a blinding flash of light briefly lit up the world outside his windows. He jumped out of bed, surprised, and smacked his head on a deer antler chandelier, then ran to the door and threw it open. However, rather than merely opening, he tore the door off its hinges. He recoiled in confusion, only to realize a moment later that he had sprouted a thick coating of fur on his face. In shock, he sat down, and the episode ended as mysteriously as it began, his face rapidly returning to normal. While this whole episode could easily be attributed to an adrenaline surge while in a hypnopompic state of near sleep, it nonetheless is one of the few stories we have from the book which lends any credence at all to the idea of transforming man-wolves. He also could have been dreaming while he was awake still. Yeah, totally possible. Uh, except for, you know, the door is torn off its hinges, but... At the same time, again, adrenaline, dream state, yep. hypnopompic, it, it could happen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, she also brings up the tribe of dog-headed people that Marco Polo wrote about during his travels, although it's important to note that he never claimed to have encountered them himself, instead only relaying what he had heard. Uh, she also brings up native legends of skinwalkers, dog soldiers, and medicine men who could don animal form using a richly prepared pelt of the animal. Which takes us to the decidedly magical explanation that these beings may be the result of occult conjurations or spells. While stories which clearly support this idea are few and far between, Godfrey does provide us with a few that may indicate that the Wolfman might just be someone's mystical fursona. The best example we have comes from Illinois and was uncovered by a Fordian researcher named Derek Grebner while researching his own great-grandfather, John Ratliff. The story dates from the 1930s and took place just north of the town of Peoria. According to the story, Ratliff was a man who hunted and trapped by trade and as such was deeply familiar with the wildlife of the area and the Indian burial mound located on his land. One trapping season, he began to notice that his bait was often stolen from his traps, at one point even finding an unknown animal skin snared in the bear trap, as if something had degloved its own foot in a bid to escape. The bloody footprints found in the area belonged to a giant wolf, although he noticed that this particular wolf seemed to be going on two legs instead of four. Then, as is often the case in Dogman stories, his chickens began to go missing. <laughs> so, one night, he decided to stand guard with a shotgun in hand. When he heard a commotion inside the coop, he threw open the door to find the classic wolfman clutching a terrified hen. Ratliff fired a full load of rock salt into the beast, prompting it to run howling through the back wall of the hen house and off into the night. 
Interestingly, this was the same night that a nearby hermit known to practice pagan ritual went missing, leading Ratliff to believe the hermit and the wolf were one and the same. Adding further credence to this theory is the apparent intelligence of the beast that is often reported by witnesses. For example, there was an encounter in 2007 in Michigan's Upper Peninsula in which a woman found herself alone at night going to investigate a disturbance at where else but her chicken coop. She was most of the way there when she was suddenly confronted by a dark wolfman shape. Despite the full moon overhead, she reportedly could not make out any details of the creature. Rather, the entity appeared to be a void in the shape of a werewolf that sucked in all light that touched it and gave nothing back. All the same, she sensed on a deep level that not only was it intelligent, but that it was enjoying her fear. The thing toyed with her, moving as if to attack but never closing the deal, leaving her free to run back to the house once her shock-induced paralysis wore off. This odd sense of intelligence is reported again and again by Godfrey's witnesses, and seems to be something which witnesses experience on a psychical or intuitive level beyond our traditional five senses, as if they simply know that what they're looking at is something unnatural. However, this is far from the only instance where the dogman and psychic phenomenon intermingle. But before we get there, we have another discussion question. So let's chew on this idea a little bit. What do you guys make of the Transformers idea presented in Chapter 24 of the book? And were there any other stories from the book which may lend credence to the idea? And what do you make of Chris Foley's bizarre episode? So I think, ultimately, I think the idea of a transformative where werewolf dogman whatever is uh the most theatrically fun sure yeah you know but i i also think that like looking at this from a a, a like a scientific lens that is going to be the hardest to explain yeah, right? yeah well i mean especially if you think about even if you get past simple biology right um there are fundamental laws of matter that are violated there. If you take someone who is normal human size and you turn them into a seven foot tall wolf man, there is more mass to that body than they had initially. You are creating matter from nothing. Right. Now, the one thing that I will that I that I uh, that she had mentioned, and I don't I don't think you had mentioned it in the summary that I think is interesting um, is she talks she talks very briefly in her ideas about it in talking about DNA specifically because mm-hmm. of how hard it would be to explain uh, any kind of transforming werewolf because of it. It's just not anything that we've ever seen in terms of like DNA science. Right mm-hmm. now, my thought and what I think would be the most interesting of this is kind of like a combination of many ideas, right? Like, yes, this werewolf is trans could potentially be transformative in nature because DNA on a, if, if you think about it DNA is like the computer code that runs us mm-hmm. right it tells us how we're supposed to grow evolve what we what we can do etc 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 so if that the DNA of this creature is naturally able to do that their DNA you know they they their whole body their biology their everything is structurally different from ours sure I could see that. At that point, it's less they're a person who transforms into a wolf as they are a complete they are a completely different species which is able to pass as human. Exactly. And that's that's kind of where the only way that I would see this as like potentially feasible, right? Yeah. Now on a, a, a like on a slightly more fun note, I guess, I I think if there was a transformative werewolf 
the one that makes the most sense to me is the ones that the Hopi tribe people met. The ones that don the dog pelt. Yeah. And the reason is because there are other supernatural creatures out there that have almost identical methods of shape-shifting, like they, Selkies. Uh, Selkies also, uh, Norsmith has the Berserkers, which would yep. don bear pelts to become giant dire bears in right. battle. So now we've got across the world, we've got these different kinds of um, you know, folklore tales of very similar type of shape-shifting. And to me, that that lends a little bit more credence to that kind of story. So in your opinion, then, the a supernatural transformer makes more sense than a biological transformer. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Jay, what about you? Um, so I, I also agree that the idea of werewolves that come bursting out of their clothes from a normal human starting point are very, very fun, but incredibly far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I came up with while sitting here, um, just now was, um, and you may have said this, um, is that it's, it's the combination of your DNA gets rewritten and then somehow, you know, those particles that can exist in that, that like move backwards in time or can exist in two places at once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If it's like, okay, I'm just okay. going to snap a version of you from a timeline where your DNA was always this and your DNA could always reach oh, this that's potential. In- that's, that's interesting. interesting. So it would yeah. be almost like your, at your DNA is at a quantum level entangled with this other creature and yeah. you can kind of swap back, which swap yeah. back and forth, which is interesting because does that mean in the alternate Dogman universe where everyone's a Dogman, do they have legends where some of their Dogmen suddenly become pale, naked apes? They might. I mean, or, or they, they might. Or, or like in Harry Potter, they're, they're the, uh, the Dogman equivalent of a squib. They just sure. don't have the power because for some reason it got fucked up. Because someone keeps stealing it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I was. That's the only way that I could think of it working because like, you know, there's the idea of like, well, if you change the DNA, you can make something bigger. And it's like DNA creates potential right. for height and mass and athletic ability. But depending on if you got the, the amount of food that growing that big would require, did you get the amount of exercise? That says that how would to require. grow. Yeah, it says yeah. how to grow, not so, that you will grow that way. Yeah, so that's yeah. my idea of it swaps you uh, somewhere different. Um, that's, that's interesting. I don't I like understand that. quantum theory even a little, so I can only say that sounds plausible to me. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Um, sounds good. <laughs> my other thought was, this is tangentially related to that statement. Um, I was talking about how Europe used to believe much more readily in werewolves. Mm. There were actually some places, uh, if I am remembering my undergrad studies, most prominently in France, where there was a belief that it's like, yes, when women make deals with the devil for magical power in exchange for their soul and servitude they become witches when men make deals with the devil and ex- with the, giving their souls in exchange for power uh they become werewolves and so there were there's lots of witch trials and witch panics in france where you can actually like look at the records women were being burned alive for being witches and men were being burned alive for being werewolves mm. interesting the french are such a fascinating people <laughs> they really are uh and Caleb, what about you? Oh. Um, 
I personally want to become the DNA version of myself that has a six pack (laughs) and can get in some way tan. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. I'm far too white for the tan bit. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want the werewolf version of me. That all sounded very um, Loki. If you guys have seen that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very multiverse. Very multiverse. Um, Anyway. Um, Definitely um, nothing as deep as Jay's. I was just going to point out that that uh, second story you're told where the wolf is like absorbing light sounds a lot like the um, the shadow dog that I was talking mm-hmm. about yeah. from yeah. England more so than absolutely. Um, that. But I mean, going into like Jay's thing, like if we are somehow accessing our DNA from multiple realities, then there could be something like that. Like that's why it it's so fearful to us. Cause mm. it's just something that our, 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 our feeble human brains just like wouldn't be able to understand. So obviously all you're seeing is black void and maybe red eyes because that's literally all your brain can understand. Like what it's seeing. I don't know. No, building on that. Because my brain has been locked into this uh, same kind of pattern about semi-related things. But what, I mean, so what if, right? Like (laughs) using that, like being able to switch the DNA or or not. What if Mm -hmm. the reasoning why some people can or cannot do it is because they're not at the right personal frequency or the person their personal vibration level right so they have to reach that level first to be able to fully accept acknowledge or even see whatever it might be you know know, it's an interesting idea and this Mm. is more has to do with the next section we're going to read well first of all that witness by the way i didn't include it in there but that witness specifically believed that what she encountered was a skinwalker Mm -hmm. um Mm. that said uh, this is more from the next section, but just thinking about it, what if what we're dealing with, what, or what if what the dog man is or the werewolf is, is less about this is a creature that transforms as it is. This is a person who has been possessed by a spirit that has caused it to transform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Huh. So the spirit itself is the one with the actual transformative abilities. God, that would be probably incredibly painful for the human. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every bone in your body growing and cracking and breaking. Yeah, that your, suck. Your, your, your stomach has to literally extend uh, and shift because some, of the diet change. Some, uh, some versions of the mythology state that you can know if a werewolf's been in the area, if you find shredded piles of human skin with no bones or organs attached, because Ooh. there's a belief from some people that it's like, yeah, you rip out of your skin into a new form. And it's, and then that's, and then some people take it a step farther of like, and you probably shed off your outer shell of skin to go back to the human form. So sometimes you'll find bloody wolf hides just laying around too. You know, that would be super, a super interesting way to portray it in a horror movie where you actually see the skin like sleuth off um, of their body. Uh, what is that terrible show? It was on Netflix. Um, one of the scars guards plays like a, a whiny vampire. <sighs> God, I'm Which, trying. Are you talking about human? No, it's one of the scars guards. So Alex, uh, no, Eric Northman. No, not him. Bill? Yeah. 
He plays a werewolf? No, vampire. A vampire? Yeah, all I, I never, remember... I never saw I never no, saw God, that one. It was on Netflix, but the wolf transformation scene in that sounds a lot like that. The, yeah. His eyes pop out and his skin sloth off. I'll have to look it up. I just uh, think that would be horrifying to see on TV and like seeing a movie. I, yeah. yeah. I like it. All right. Are we ready to move forward? I'm yes. ready. Okay. So the second idea Godfrey puts forward in chapter 25, Creatures from Beyond, Hellhound versus Manwolf, is that the Dogman and other upright canines are entirely paranormal in nature and were never human at all. After all, folklore the world over is full of tales of black furred dogs with red glowing eyes. Such entities sometimes act as psychopomps for the dead, guardians to mystic sites, or manifestations of a witch's curse. Also enforcing this idea is the man-wolf's tendency to frequent roadsides, crossroads, church graveyards, waterways, and the liminal spaces normally associated with ghosts, demons, UFOs, and other phenomenon. As such, we may even go as far as to say the Dogman may yet be another manifestation of John Keel's phenomenon, taking a form that we have popularized and enforced through our legends and media. In support of the Holy Supernatural explanation, we do have a large number of stories from the book in which the upright canine demonstrates clearly supernatural feats. For example, there's the story of a hunter in Oscoda in 1977. While out hunting, he reportedly heard something following him through the brush. After an hour of trying to spot his stalker, he noticed an odd distortion in the air in the shape of a wolfish beast. It appeared to be a large, bipedal entity that was somehow camouflaged, much like the Predator from the movie of the same name. He unloaded three speed loaders from his magnum at it, then fled when the creature didn't drop. What makes this case interesting is that it occurred a full ten years before the movie Predator premiered. Another case, one of my personal favorites from the book, comes from Muskogee, Oklahoma, and demonstrates another odd habit of the Dogman, in which it often visits several members of the same family as if it were some sort of familial curse. In 2006, the witness Ed was driving home when he spotted a wolf standing on the side of a freeway on-ramp eating a dead deer. The beast looked at him with, quote, intelligent eyes that made him feel deeply unsettled. A few days later, his fiance saw a different wolf on the same ramp, only this one was eating with its front paws as a human would. Three years later, they spotted it again, running alongside their car late one night. They lost sight of it as it raced ahead and they tried to catch up. When they reached a roadside church, however, they noticed that the wolf had somehow appeared on top of the church sign, a full 15 feet in the air with no nearby objects the wolf could have possibly climbed. The final sighting to occur in his family happened in March of 2009. His mother-in-law and friends were driving on that same on-ramp as the first two sightings when they saw a wolf dining on roadkill yet again. Unlike the last time, however, its eyes were glowing red. They drove on in fear, though one of her friends later reported hearing the wolf talking in her head when it looked at them, telling her that it was a nice dog and that they should stop and rescue it. No, <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. <laughs> the scariest moment in the book right there. Uh, this is only one of many instances where the creature's eyes are said to glow unnaturally, though there is some conjecture on the color as some witnesses report red, others gold or blue. More examples can be found in Chapter 22, which is concerning sightings in the Northwoods area of Wisconsin, specifically the area around Eau Claire. In one story, a witness goes outside their home to take out the trash when they were confronted by a bipedal werewolf-like creature. Quote, he stared in disbelief, and then the creature looked directly at him and instantly disappeared. In the man's own words, quote, the thing looked a little blurry around the edges, almost like a picture not totally in focus. 
In another story from the same area, a man and his son were driving home when they got turned around and ended up driving down an unpaved road through a particularly dense and dark area of the forest. Don't do that. As they reported, they suddenly spotted what appeared to be enormous elk-like creatures, far larger than any elk in nature, which were, per- which were pursued by an entity described as the classic werewolf. The man and his son escaped the road and began to find their way again when, inexplicably, they got turned around and found themselves right back where they started. This happened over and over again, some force drawing them back to that road despite their best efforts to leave it behind. Hell. And each time, the werewolf seemed to notice them, moving closer and eventually chasing their car with aggressive intent until they finally escaped the road for good. Had they simply gotten turned around three times in a row, trapped in a temporal loop or spatial pocket, or were they the playthings of a supernatural force beyond our understanding? It is also worth noting that the Euclid area is no stranger to the bazaar, as the area is also known as a bit of a UFO hotspot, and numerous other cryptids have been spotted in the area over the years. Which brings us to our third discussion question. Lending further credence to the idea of a supernatural wolfman is the correlation Godfrey draws over and over again between dogman sightings and Native American earthworks. What do we make of this relationship? Do you think it may suggest something about the nature of the beast, or does dogman territory simply overlap heavily with the protected wildlands that tend to surround the few preserved earthworks that have yet to be destroyed? That's that's a good question. I got caught in a time loop before. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) Pause. Tell us that. We'll get. We'll get. We'll go to the question. It was. It was just a single loop, so it wasn't like over and over again. But um, we were driving home, and I've told this story on my podcast before, but. we were driving home from swim lessons and I was mm, 10 or 11, but the pool is about, well, the pool where we'd go to swim lessons is about half an hour away and it's connected by a rural kind of freeway. So it's a freeway that basically goes through farmland. Right. And that's interesting that they're talking a lot about like roadsides and all that stuff. Cause like, what is it about roadsides that like sparks these types of things? But anyway, we're driving home. And this is the part I can't quite remember. And it's probably like memory of a memory of a memory. But um, I remember like a plumber's man. And then um, the part, I'm pretty sure that I remember this accurately because um, there was a truck and another set of kids um, that was in swimming lessons with us or was at the pool. They were drying their towels in the back seat, And one of the kids had like one of those checkerboard towels that you could play checkers on, like at the beach. And they were drying them in the back seat, So you could see the checkerboard pattern in the truck. And then another like worker, like contractor truck passed oh, us. I remember this episode of your show now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're driving. And like those, those cars pass us and we're driving and it was like 10 minutes later and there was no way, there was no way we like slowed down or repass them. The same exact cars pass us, the, 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 the plumber's truck and then the, the, the truck with the towels drying and then the contractor's truck. And 
to this day, like my brother says he doesn't remember it, but he was in the car with us. But me and my mom, like if I bring it up to my mom, she'll just get really quiet and start shaking her head. I mean, <laughs> and that's she's just like glitch in the matrix. She's like, yeah. yep, that happens. And that's all she wants to say about that. <laughs> because it makes people uncomfortable to think about the supernatural mm-hmm. or whatever it might have happened. What the hell? Yeah. Whatever that what, was. That's, yeah. that's a cool story. Yeah, it is. All right. Mm-hmm. So now the question. All right. All right. I think, I think so ultimately I don't, I, I, I have a lame answer of, I don't know. Yeah. Right? I mean, well, that, here's the thing. That is the most honest answer any of us could give to literally any <laughs> question ever asked on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, like speculating, I think there's, there probably is a connection to like, uh, maybe the native American lands, maybe the specific areas that they are, because I mean, we're look if we look at it from a, a like a, a perspective of them being an animal, it makes sense that they have a specific kind of territory, right? Now, why they are protective of those specific areas, I don't necessarily know. But if they are sacred to Native Americans, maybe we have to ask ourselves why and dig a little deeper beyond that lore. Is there some kind of connection to dog-like entities in that lore? Is there some kind of or maybe is there some kind of entity, uh, some kind of entity that maybe the, they mistaked was that they thought was maybe supposed to protect the land, and it's actually the dog man. Like I, I, I ultimately I don't I don't know, but I I think that it makes sense that there would be a connection because there's enough sightings, both in this book and otherwise, to say that there is some kind of uh, uh, maybe supernatural or not connection to the area. I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm rambling like an idiot. So what's interesting though about, uh, about that is, so there are native American burial mounds in the, uh, Southwest corner of the state that have mostly been plowed over for farmland, but there are a few left down there. And that's a, that's a hotbed for dogman sightings. Um, and interestingly, the local tribes around there said that the mounds in that area were left by the prairie people before they left the area and that they left powerful guardian spirits in place to protect their 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 mounds. Uh, so maybe maybe I mean, well, thinking about these sightings that we just went over, uh, the man who saw one disappear instantly and it kind of looked blurry around the edges. I what if again, I know that. uh you know, this theory uh, doesn't go well in a lot of cryptid communities, but we have uh, people saying the interdimensional hypothesis for Bigfoot or uh, for Chupacabra or anything that they can somehow come in and out of our reality. That's what that dogman sighting sounded like to me is that was the he was seeing something in the process of phasing out of reality. Uh, so maybe there's some kind of spirit. Maybe there's some kind of interdimensional entity uh, that was somehow lured in by native populations. Maybe. Uh, I mean, thinking about it, like I, I would think like realistically, if these creatures are natural to this area, not some kind of alien creature, um, they probably have existed as long or longer than we have. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, what if. It's the the uh, ancestors of that area made a deal with the ancest their ancestors of that area to protect these specific uh, territories, and they're holding true to their end of the bar- end of the bargain. Yep. They didn't plan on us white folk coming in and killing everybody and taking the land, but it's not going to stop them from doing their job. 
That's interesting. So they're they're in, they are still working to fulfill a pact, an ancient pact that humans no longer remember. I mean, makes sense. I mean, well, especially because they don't they don't seem to really hurt people that right. often. They just they just terrorize. Yeah, they they'll scratch up a truck. Uh, there was one case where it did take a swipe at someone, but it miraculously only hit their shirt and didn't even leave a scratch on their body. Uh, Seems a little too uh, specific for yeah. a miracle. Yeah. But that said, I mean, also, again, any of the stories in here, we have to remember, they are just anecdotes. Right. Oh, yeah. And as we all know, uh, it's really easy to exaggerate a story that you tell, you know, five years on. Right. All right. What about you, Jay? looks like you have uh, something to say. Um, I I have a feeling that Dogman is probably the thing that we refer to as Dogman is probably like Linda Godfrey in pro- implies several times throughout the book is probably a smattering of different entities that share certain characteristics and maybe get cited in similar areas. So I think there is absolutely a subset of I think it is absolutely likely that there is a subset of Dogmen that are extra dimensional spirit entities that exist primarily to defend those ancient burial grounds. I also think that there's other types of dogmen that have nothing to do with that and either wander through the area or just happen to be in similar types of places just because that's good hunting ground. Like, cause some of them show up in suburbs and you know, coyotes do that too. I mean, I, I, that does align with kind of what I, what I think I agree with you, Jay. But that said, I tend towards the kitchen sink hypothesis that we are never dealing with one thing. Uh, the phenomenon is so complex and vast that either. Well, really, here here's the options in my mind. We're either dealing with th- theoretically thousands of things or millions of things, a whole interdimensional world intersecting with ours on many levels. Or if Keel's right, we're dealing with one thing that come that projects into our world in different forms. Uh, at least that's the theory that I I find most entertaining and is most interesting for me to chew on. Caleb, yeah, Caleb, what do you think? Um, I like the the interdimensional theory, honestly. Like. If there is a Bigfoot out there, if there is a Dogman, or if there is a Mothman, like, just by now, even in these mm, 15 years that we've all had, like, cameras in our pockets, Mm. I just feel like there would have been something more concrete captured. You know, if if it was a physical animal. Right. You know, well, and actually, and, and Godfrey does point out that, yeah, there are pictures out there that people claim are wolf, are dogmen or wolfmen, but they're mostly blurry, taken from very far away, and they could be mm-hmm. anything. It could be pareidolia very easily. But what if that's intentional or uh, uh, a natural side effect of the creature? Yeah. Like, but- what if they. They're they're just natural being, and maybe it's because they're interdimensional that when you snap that picture, they come out blurry. Are, yeah, are you about to say you're you're actually mm-hmm. advocating the uh, theory of what if Bigfoot's just blurry? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, ultimately, like my mind went to my mind went to like uh, one of the games we play, occultation. Yeah, you know, you can it's just making yourself or the supernatural ability to 
hide yourself in one form or another. Well, well and, and what's interesting is what if, like many things, the phenomenon, there is a psychical element to this. Like uh, there's, it's been proposed by many researchers that any sort of sort of paranormal phenomenon, uh, it's a more it's more of a conversation than mm-hmm. it is you seeing something there. It is something projecting into our world and then you putting your expectations upon it. And when you take a picture with the camera, the camera doesn't have expectations. So maybe because the camera lacks a mind, it is unable to fully render what it's seeing. It's kind of like, you know, uh, magic and intention, right? Your intention matters. And because camera is technology, it has no intention. Fun fact, you want to know uh, a quick and dirty way to see to figure out if what you're seeing is a hallucination or not. Uh, Take out your phone and look at it through the camera Yep. because your hallucinations Mm -hmm. will not show up on camera, except in very, very specific cases. Um, One time I was having a bad reaction to some allergy meds and I was convinced that there was a uh, brown recluse spider of massive size Mm -hmm. in the bathroom with me. And I I took out my phone. It's like, okay, it's not showing up on the footage that I'm very clearly taking it, taking of it. So like just just throwing that out there that it's like cameras do uh, like like uh, Rory was saying, the cameras don't have expectations. The cameras can actually be a decent filter for what for what our eyes are tricking us about. Absolutely. uh, I mean, it's a tool for a reason. right? Well, and also I bring up. Episode three, Peter Biebergall's uh, Strange Frequencies. Peter B. Peter uh, B. I mean, I guess that to, to shoot my own argument in the foot, if Peter B is right, technology can be an extension of the self like any other tool to create, c- complete that occult circuit. Yes. Uh, but that said, uh, sorry, Caleb, we cut you off. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? About interdimensional so. dog. Then. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think that and here's the thing is, again, uh, because our evidence amounts to some blurry photos, a whole lot of anecdote, and a couple pictures of footprints that are could just be very large wolves, uh, it's hard to really put a, a, a flag in the ground and say, this is what I think it is. I, I mean, even though on the show we tend to resist doing that anyway. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there is an interesting connection there to the native earthworks. I think it's something worth investigating. I'd be really curious to uh, talk to a couple members of the Ottawa tribe mm-hmm. in the area and see what they have to say. Maybe I'll have to make some calls. So shoot some emails. So, so something just occurred to me. Um, we we know that there are ancient technologies that were lost and have to be rediscovered. Like we found uh, 5000 year old rudimentary batteries mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, lots of sacred sites around the world apply techniques in their building that were very subtle and sophisticated that could help induce altered states of mind. Most of the, a lot of the native history of this continent has, was wiped out by settlers and the loss of time and the loss, the gradual loss of things to time. What if some of those sites were built to protect certain things in a way that very specifically induces certain subsonic frequencies that can in, that can trigger intense anxiety and mild hallucinations. I mean, there, there's some evidence of that. Yeah. Yes. I know that there is not not of the native earth, uh, not of the native earthworks specifically, um, but there have been uh, experiments that have shown that what is it called? 
Suboptimal frequencies or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Suboptimal frequencies. Those frequencies. Infrasound. Infrasound. Yeah, that's infrasound. it. Uh, yeah. The infrasounds, which are of a wavelength that is below what the human ear can pick up. What they yes. found is if they're projected at someone at an intense enough rate, it can trigger massive hallucinations. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's totally possible. And there's, I mean, there is actually. There's evidence to support that in other areas of the country. Um, look at Kentucky and Mammoth Caves and the quartz buildup that's happening uh, around or uh, under oh. m- most of the state of Kentucky. That is, it's like a giant fucking funnel. Yeah, it's making people see crazy shit, right? Yep. Uh, and also, if the tribe, if the Ottawa tribe said that those were left by the prairie people then they wouldn't know what the fuck's going on there either. That's a good point. Uh, And we don't really even know who the prairie people are. We don't really have a lot of, um, (laughs) we don't have a lot of history books from that far back in Native American, uh, Native American history. Right. Because if it was, it's not necessarily their culture. So they didn't, they didn't write it down. Right. You know. All right. Are we ready to uh, move on to We are not ready. There is a Native American lore legends of people even before yes. them. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. A lot oh, of the nations My have that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, you if you want to go down a bad rabbit hole, look up uh, Star Cousins oh. because there are Native tribes that have yeah. stories of interactions with peoples from other worlds who came down on uh, silvery canoes. Um, yeah, and also there were there were native tribes down in like the Tucky, Kentucky, Tennessee area that were talking about like, oh, yeah, the moon eyed people, the moon eyed people. Yeah, the people who were here before us, they were very pale skinned and they had very large eyes and they couldn't go out in the sunlight because of how sensitive their eyes and skin were. And they freaked us out. So we were like, you gots to go. Yeah. And uh, actually little uh, little. Uh I guess uh, foreshadowing for our listeners at home. We may or may not be talking about that and other stories like it in next uh, our next episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So are we now? Are we ready to move forward? I believe now that we have so. successfully blown Caleb's mind. Okay, we are good. good to go. <laughs> so, so much of I mean, history is. I a mean, lie. the battery thing blew my mind too. But <laughs> oh, I can't oh, go yeah. into that right oh, now. Oh yeah, look. Uh, <laughs> Look up rediscovered technologies if you ever want to feel like human humanity is trapped in a miserable cycle. And if you ever just want I a mean, random rabbit hole to go down, just talk to any of us because yeah. we do that That's, too much. Our life is leaping down rabbit holes. Not to get like completely off kilter, but um, I mean, it makes sense that we would have lost a lot of history. Like just take like the mm-hmm. kids game telephone, for example, mm-hmm. we lose history in a matter of five minutes. Yeah. Like, what do you think thousands upon thousands of years have done about and well, God? Like we have evidence of people revising history just for the fun of it. Like, especially when you think that pre a lot of what we have, it's all oral history, oral history. And it's all a lot of thousands of years of a big game of t- telephone. And even the people that we did have that wrote down a lot of what the oral history that was passed on from certain cultures was, was manipulated. So we don't even necessarily mm-hmm. know that what we, what the, what's written down is even a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> if you want like a, a perfect example of that is looking at Celtic history specifically in, 
uh, like when we're talking about like the Tuatha and the the Fey folk and all of that was all written down by Christian monks and manipulated. Like mm. we know that the original story of Beowulf is not the way that it was written. We just don't know what mm. the original story was it's, anymore. Exactly. Yeah. There's this great Doctor Who episode where um, they're in like the 30th century or something, and they're about to go tour ancient Earth. And the tour guide is like, he's like, so we're going to go down to Earth. And it was Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day, there was this country called Turkey. And the people would go to war with the turkeys ah, and then eat them yeah. for Christmas. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's probably how they're going to tell history. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. No, I mean, and I, although I will say we do have one advantage in that if any technology survives, an awful lot of people are recording everything they possibly can, including every thought that enters their head. Well, and that's the advantage of the modern, like modern day technology in the sense of recording history, but also the disadvantage because everybody's doing it so it's not going to be filtered through an academic lens no there, there's we just, right. we just have to hope the people watching those recordings can speak our language also yeah. that but well, even like in the thousands upon thousands of years like if they discover like if we wipe ourselves out and then like a new species of humanity or whatever comes up how would they know how to access like the internet where we recorded things to the cloud or would it even like work anymore? Like our data save towers, like they'd be completely dust. It'd like, probably be just whatever data was stored on solid state drives. Yeah. That probably what would mm -hmm. be left. Whatever can survive. And, and like, that would kind they know of... how to like, would they look at it and be like, what the fuck is this? And just like, would they even know how to use Someday it? Someday soon, somebody's going to plug a USB into like an ancient native earth mound and suddenly find oh a bunch God. of ancient movies. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's I, someone's porno stash. Oh, yeah, that, yep, that's, that's exactly what it would be. It would be somebody's porn stash. Yeah. Oh my god, it's just dog bed. <laughs> <laughs> These were porn studios. These were porn studios. You know, so you're telling me this whole time the dog man's just a porn star? Yes. Oh god damn it! And to think, I I almost excluded the story where uh, dog man was seen with an erection. <laughs> oh oh my right. god, I want to see I mean, myself. You guys haven't wall. seen that video, of dog man. Mothman, it's so no. hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch leak, leak porn. I don't want to watch creep. Dogman destroy Mothman like that. That's not okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know Mothman would bottom. Yeah, yeah. All right. Have you this. seen his butt in that statue? Like it's <laughs> weirdly good. He's wasting a lot of potential if he's not bottoming. Who, whoever, whoever uh, made that made the Point Pleasant statue of Mothman had a thing for butts, and we all know it. It's horrible. It's honestly the worst. So in the final or chapter the of the best. book, <laughs> in the final chapter of the book, Blood and Bone, Godfrey submits the more corporeal explanations for the dogman sightings and also does much work to debunk them at the same time. First, she discusses the idea of misidentification as an explanation for most sightings. One of the biggest potential culprits being bears. After all, they too are large, furry, powerful animals that even have the ability to become bipedal should the need arise. Like Nick. Shut up. However, this idea becomes problematic when one takes a close look at the physiology and typical behaviors of bears. While capable of being bipedal, they most often stand up only for intimidation purposes or to get a better look at something, and they are far from speedy when moving on two feet. In addition, most witnesses, some of which are forest rangers or biologists, claim to have gotten a good look at the dogman and are sure it wasn't a bear. 
Other culprits include kangaroos. With their long snout, backwards-facing legs, and pointed ears, many have pointed out that dogman sightings could be fleeting glimpses of escaped zoo roos or vestiges of someone's private exotic animal collection. And there is some historical precedent for this idea. There have been escaped roos unleashed upon the Midwest in the past. And for example, Pablo Escobar's hippos have become an invasive species in Colombia, lending credence to the possibility of an exotic invasive species hiding out in the wilds of North America. Further adding to this theory is the mysterious roo sightings that have been reported across the country, most of which it vanish as inexplicably as they appear and whose origins are seldom explained. That said, again, we run up against the testimony of credible witnesses who insist that what they saw was no mere roo. Similar arguments have been made for baboons, buffoons, and even Bigfoot. Though, in my opinion, if you're trying to disprove Dogman, blaming it on Bigfoot isn't a great start. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of my thought. Yeah, it, you know, it goes back to uh, what John Tenney was saying in Theoretical Weirdos. You can't prove the paranormal with the paranormal. Right. Uh, or debunk <laughs> it with the paranormal. Yeah, like, that's not a ghost, you fool. That's, cl- that's clearly Bigfoot in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> if you're mixing up Bigfoot and ghosts, you need to put the bottle down. <laughs> <laughs> Another possibility which was suggested in the book but little explored is that most sightings are hoaxes. Well, certainly the dogman got off to a rocky start in that regard, Mr. Cook having done the most damage when the truth of his Gable film was uncovered. There are a few other sightings which we can safely attribute to humans. For example, in Defiance, Ohio in 1972, a railway man was working late when he reported being attacked by a wolfman wearing tattered clothes and wielding a two-by-four. These sightings and others around the same area even prompted the local police to begin carrying loads of silver bullets for their service revolvers. The presence of the clothing and the hard-on for hardwood would indicate to me that someone in a mask was out engaging in some violent frivolities. However, this does not explain the massive number of sightings which occur in remote areas in the middle of the night where would-be pranksters would have no reason to believe they'd be spotted by anyone. And finally, wolves. It is very possible that some, if not many, dogman sightings are misidentified, but wholly natural wolves. The problem with that, this idea is the bipedal nature of the beast reported by the witnesses. In order to become bipedal, the hip shape of the wolf would need to change. Wider back paws would need to develop to provide a stronger center of balance. And its joints would need to be reinforced in order to allow for the leaping and climbing reported by witnesses. Such changes would take evolution a long, long time, and currently our modern science simply sees no evidence that such a change is occurring, nor that the reported feats are anywhere near possible for mundane canines. Which leaves us with the possibility that these creatures are some form of unidentified, yet very real, animal. While this may be a difficult idea to swallow, the facts are that there are wilderness areas in the country that are large enough to support a predator like the one described. And while rare, there are a few stories which imply to me a more flesh-and-blood interpretation of the beast, chief among them being the story of Frank, who, on a lonely stretch of road in 1978 Kentucky, saw a herd of deer run across the road with a classic dogman in hot pursuit. Throwing on his truck lights, he then saw the dogman wasn't alone. Three smaller dogmen, dog pups, were following just behind it. Frank hung around, watching for them and listening to their puppy-like growls until the adult noticed him, and he decided to get out of there before he became lunch. Which begs the question, if there can be dogman puppies, do they breed? And if they do, does that indicate the presence of a viable breeding population of animals? Which brings us to our fourth discussion question. 
Which is, again, what do you think of this idea? So do you think that the misidentifications and hoaxes could really account for the majority of the sightings detailed in the book? And do you believe a population of flesh and blood, seven foot tall wolfmen could have successfully remained hidden from mainstream society in the forests of North America? I mean, Rory, yes, you have the story. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about, too. Could it have been any of those things? It definitely wasn't a kangaroo. I, I can I can say that without <laughs> shadow. Positive, it was not a Bigfoot. Um, have you ever seen a kangaroo though? I, I have at zoos. Okay, I have seen a kangaroo before. We um, have a zoo out here where you can actually get into an enclosure with uh, some docile kangaroos. Mm-hmm. That Rory, <gasps> yes, Rory has been through that exhibit. Yep. Rory has been within a yard or two of a full-grown kangaroo. Okay, because yep. I've never personally seen a kangaroo, but I, I want to go do that yep. now. That sounds like amazing. Shout, shout out to the Detroit Zoo. <laughs> great, it's a great zoo. Yeah. Amazing zoo. Um, Donate to it. I mean, could it have been a wolf? Absolutely. Absolutely, it could have been. Yeah, I, I, I was young. I, I don't know, but it, it. The more I think about it, like the likelihood of what it would have been would have been the odds are it would have been a coyote over a wolf based on our area, and it was way too fucking big to be a coyote. What year would this have been? Ah, uh, like sixth, seventh grade for me. So that would have been two thousand two, which is interesting because I don't think. There were uh, there was a viable wolf population in the Lower Peninsula in 2002. I don't think so either. Well, especially not that far down near Detroit. Uh, right. we, we just now are starting to see wolves in the northern part of the Upper Peninsula. Have you our Lower Peninsula? Have you considered it was somebody's pet that got out, as sure. in like I mean, a pet wolf? I mean, sure, that's feasible. Um, but then again, you were living in an area not known for its large exotic pets. I was, and I was living in a middle class, like lower middle class uh, neighborhood. Yeah, what, you know. Well, and also, I I think what, even though this seems so small, it, it is so much in line with so many paranormal stories we've read. Mm-hmm. The fact that you turned around, walked away, and then forgot about it. Well, and that's like, the that's the thing that get mm, that gets me mm-hmm. the most about it is because I've I've th- I think about the story. I mean, I've probably thought about it three or four times over the last, you know, almost 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, and, but that's it. And it's only because like something will come up and it'll pop back into my head, you know, that, mm-hmm. that story. But the one thing that, 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 that stood out to me the most about it that seemed so convincing was my reaction because back then I, and to this day still, I'm not afraid of animals. You know, and back then, that was going to be my next question is, have you had pets your whole life? Have you had dogs? No, but I'm an animal lover. Uh, Like I, my, my, my parents weren't big on the pet game, but like now I, you know, I have a giant cat and we, I guess we have a giant cat and we have uh, a, you know, a pit bull. So like I'm Mm -hmm. around animals all the time now. Like I was thinking like last night I was sitting out on the patio cause I couldn't sleep. And I saw it was probably like a straight looked kind of like a German shepherd run. And then looking at where it ran right now. And I didn't have a second thought about that. Cause my brain just went dog. Right. But what was interesting about yours is like, I didn't have a second thought to like go back inside and run in the house. You know, I didn't feel in danger, but I wonder well, and it's the fact that how it, I would react to 
the fact that it locked Something eyes like with me and yeah. my only reaction to it was run. It's like that mm-hmm. that AWOL Nation song where it totally shifts gears right after you hear run. <laughs> run. You know? yeah. And it's like it was like that happened in my brain. And I I my I don't have a flight response. I either freeze or I fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't that's have so a flight response. Yeah, no, that that's fascinating. So well, it reminds me a lot because here's the thing, you had the same reaction to that sighting that I had to the UFO I saw when I was a kid and then promptly forgot about for 20 years. Right, exactly. And I hadn't thought about this story, like this, me seeing that thing in years, probably. Interesting. And and before, like I said, I've always told the story as it was a coyote. But after reading this, I'm I'm so not convinced that it was a coyote. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So in terms of like, is it... The, the last sort of theory that she presented of it's like, well, some people say it's just wolves that learn to walk on their hind legs and use their forepaws as hands. And I agree with Linda Godfrey, where I'm like, that's crazier than the things we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean it's wolves that are like, fuck you, I'll walk on my back legs now. Well, I don't even think their hips really let them do that they, very they don't. well. It, well she, talked to, she actually talked to some veterinarians and basically confirmed that the wolf's body can't support that. Right. Yeah, it's like but you've Buffy, our pit bull, stands up sometimes and she can take maybe one step and then she wobbles and she hits back down on all fours and she only she only stands up when she's trying to be naughty and get something off the counter or trying to dance with me yeah or trying to like jump up on people or like look at something she's but like yeah she can't and obviously dogs and wolves are different but like if a dog can't do it i assume a wolf can't really do it it's a similar enough structure yeah. i think yeah. we can compare the two and we'll be okay <laughs> i would like however now to present my own wild theory Ooh, sure okay okay and this combines this will also provide an explanation for why they're always fucking blurry and why sometimes people forget about them and also the predator the the predator sighting okay. in the fucking forest the predator gonna, camo you're going to hit yeah. all all of the buttons. Wild theory. That's your theme yes. song. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Caleb. You have energized me. Okay. <laughs> so what if the well the wolf men, the dog men, are interdimensional travelers and they're coming here to observe us, or because they like to harass us, because maybe they're asshole teenagers, but they're dog men. They don't wear clothes and like they have to maintain security and shit like they can't let it. They can't like let everyone just see that they're out there. So maybe implanted in their body is hyper advanced Wolfman technology <laughs> that scrambles cameras and fucks with people's minds. You know what? I, I it's it's not any more far fetched than some of the other shit that we talk about. At yeah. least well, I'm not trying to claim that wolves have become bipedal and didn't tell us. You know, you know what's interesting is actually there is a sighting. Did we in forget the- to tell? you guys shit sorry yeah, you know what's interesting is there is a sighting in this book where someone saw a dog man and then left the area but then they saw a ufo go to the area where they saw the wolf man and then leave oh yeah. and, he, and he said it was like it was picking something up so what if the wolf men are a species of alien oh my god the are they the syrians it's the wolf and ones. i can't escape that freaking episode <laughs> perish <laughs> 
Oh, that's so perfect. We have uh, to combine their DNA with ours to make us more manly. <laughs> we do not have to do that. Period blood for some reason. Uh, <laughs> that is that I. You know, I'm surprised I hadn't thought about that before this moment. But you know what? They, you know, maybe it is the Wolfen ones. I lose my cool once on this show, and I am never allowed to forget it. No, I, no. but no, no. Seriously, I, I, I. That is what I think. It is now because it's funny for me and I it doesn't hurt anyone. The werewolves are interdimensional travelers attempting to study us for wolf science and they have secret wolf military technology. Wolf science. Wolf science. <laughs> and they have secret military tech embedded in their bodies that fucks with our cameras and makes the government think we're lying. You know what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in a bucket. It. I'm in a bucket that in the same category I put birds aren't real. <laughs> hey, I have more evidence than birds not being real. Yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> do you though? Although, yes, because I, we've killed birds and seen inside them. All right. That's the government coming in and replacing it with a biological bird that they eliminated before like the 1930s. Exactly. They still have a select breed of real birds. You know like, what? They're not stupid. We got to find a book. I'm sure someone's written a book about the birds aren't real thing. Oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah, make Kelsey come on that one because that's I'm her favorite conspiracy sure theory. That whole thing is a joke to show like how ridiculous conspiracy oh, theories really is. are. You know what else is you know what else was supposed to be a joke? Chemtrails. You know what people believe in? <laughs> Chemtrails. Did that really start off as yeah. a joke? Yes. It started off as a way of making fun of conspiracy theorists because they'll believe anything. Also, in a more... Oh, my God. That's the best thing. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, we know what those are. We know We know what it's either. They're either cirrus clouds or they're the trail from a plane. Done. All right. So back to the dog man. <laughs> what? Do you you mean the wolfen one? Sorry. Do we have any other thoughts on the flesh and blood uh, hypothesis? It's boring. Yeah. I, which is uh, sadly the truth of a lot of cryptid stories is like, it's a lot like Jacques Vallée with UFOs where he says, if it's aliens, I'll be disappointed. Like if Dogman is some animal out there we haven't identified well that's incredible and really cool that wolfmen are real it also i don't know weirdly cheapens a little because it's like oh great how long till we wipe out this species right. i won't let that happen um like god because you know big game hunters would be all about that oh yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's also going to turn all the, the the people that have wolf personas into completely obnoxious people <laughs> Also, yeah. we're going to wipe them Turn out. Them and- into? Hey, you know, I'm not going to say that people that are furries are all bad people. I know plenty that are <laughs> fine, but I like how they only reach fine, though. We're gonna we're gonna wipe out the wolf men and then it's gonna turn out this like no they were the only things keeping the rabbit men at bay and then the <laughs> fucking rabbit men are gonna come out from under the ground and make war with the bald things and it's just gonna be like fuck clone the wolf men in a lab maybe it was the dog men that are you preventing us from seeing hell really you goblins sci-fi book I know right <laughs> to go back to kind of oh go ahead sorry no go ahead to go back to kind of what Jay was saying, um, I think the closest t- 
to writing in a single book, like all the answers to like all of our questions is Douglas Adams, because in Douglas Adams's book, he has these things called, oh God, it's like buzzers or something where the aliens will just come down to earth and wear like rubber antennas and go beep, beep, boop, boop in front of a poor farmer <laughs> because nobody else would ever believe it because the aliens are just bored and they want to fuck with us. And that sounds like your theory, Jay, where the wolfmen are just like, let's go observe these fuckers. They're stupid. I mean, <laughs> they I don't know the fifth dimension. If, 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 if they are really are like aliens, if these, the wolf and uh, I'm not going to call them the wolf and ones, I'm going to call them the wolf and ones. I don't know. The, the wolf people, if uh, they, if they are a superior intelligence to us, then I absolutely wouldn't be surprised if they were fucking with us because honestly, sometimes we deserve it. Although I, I can't endorse it for the specific reason that I refuse to entertain Jay's hypothesis that most paranormal activity is the equivalent of asshole teenagers. <laughs> I, how do you, you know? how do you explain most of this shit other than not having a fully developed prefrontal cortex and too much free time? <laughs> I mean, I, I still I, I'm still in favor of the idea of if from Trinity that they were just drunk kids. Yeah, I, here's yes. the, here's the thing is that I think for me. I lean more towards what we see as irresponsible or bizarre behavior is really just our brains functioning completely differently from how theirs do. Well, yeah, that's I mean, that's you know, that's pro- that's probably more accurate, but it's boring. It's, <laughs> like, it's less fun. Answer. Uh, no, I think like back to the flesh and blood hypothesis. Personally, um. Weirdly enough, I could entertain the flesh and blood hypothesis more for things like Bigfoot than I could Dogman. And I think the reason is um, a lot of Bigfoot sightings. Yes, there are some that are near civilization, but a lot of them happen way out in the wilderness. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. people who are way off the reservation when they encounter uh, the big feet. But. Interestingly, dogman sightings rarely happen in the deep wilderness. They usually happen alongside roads or near right. civilization. I, it, which is, you know, I, I struggled with that a little bit because if it was a breeding population, why would they be coming here when there are likely wild areas where they could not be bothered and still have plentiful game? Um, mm-hmm. Well, it and, could just be that those are one sect of it too, because I mean, look at Michigan alone in terms of wilderness that's probably been unmapped. Yeah. You know, maybe it, those were mice. like, maybe those were like runts or like, God, I hope they're not runs. Maybe those were like disruptive members of the pack that had to be forcibly driven from the community. Because like I don't I don't really know if that happens in wolf packs, but I know it absolutely happens in ape troops of it's like if there is a member of the troop that is too disruptive and isn't pulling their weight, the alpha males will just kick them out and they'll travel alone, even if that's completely analogous to their species. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I don't know. I, I still think if I, if I had to accept flesh and blood about any cryptid, I'd probably lean more towards Bigfoot. But that said, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe I, I, then I, I will say this, if it is a flesh and blood creature, then I have absolutely no explanation for the psychical and mystical phenomenon surrounding it. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. so, I mean, and that, that's the issue is that all of these theories, uh, all these hypotheses, um, 
all of them are focused on such a subset of the stories. None of them encompass all of them. And, you know, that old adage, if your theory excludes data, then it's incorrect. It it needs to change. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I fall on it. I mean, again, the boring answer, I don't know. But I I think that probably of the three uh, hypotheses that we've discussed, I find, weirdly enough, this one to be the most unlikely. Mm. And, And another big reason for that is that we know the effect a predator has on an area. It is noticeable in the ecology of the of that area. And I, I feel like we would have noticed uh, the presence of a large apex predator that is not only in Michigan. It seems to be, according to the book, ubiquitous across the United States. There are sightings east of the Mississippi, west of the Mississippi, in the Rockies, right. in California, up in Maine. Uh, there are sightings just about everywhere. So, I mean, in England, like we yeah, discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and also you go back further. There are Wolfman sightings, even you know before the modern Dogman legend, going going back to uh, pre prehistory. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting. The- <clears throat> That's an interesting point about the idea that it would affect the 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 local ecology of you know the area, and I I didn't think about that because you're right. Like if this was physically in our you know in our realm dimension, whatever you want to call it, if it was here, then why 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 are we not seeing that impact from that? Because we should be right. Well, and we should also be seeing things. <sighs> We we I mean think about the size of the dog man we're talking about here that thing could take out bears seven feet tall supposedly can leap over entire roads in a single bound that is it just doesn't seem to me like a, a an animal we could miss especially because it doesn't seem to be shy about humans right. yes it runs away but it's still hanging out next to a road eating road eating roadkill it's still showing up in people's backyards taking their cats like yeah. whereas Bigfoot it is you know there is a whole body of lore of it actively avoiding us so that may, makes it more likely to me that hey that might be something out there that has simply knows hey avoid the smaller apes all right well we only have a little bit to go before we get to our last question actually just a, just one quote pretty much uh so i w- thought it would be appropriate to end on godfrey's final words on the matter as she writes at the end of chapter 26 quote I wish that this book could erupt in a big Hosanna moment right now with fireworks and major announcements to the world. I wish it would make for a much better ending. But as I said earlier in this section, I can honestly only continue to make my best guess at the truth on a case by case basis. And in the final tally, I think that only a tiny fraction of sightings may be due to hoaxers and another very small percentage to misidentification of various species of natural animals or to visual misperceptions. Most reports of upright wolves or dogs, in my opinion, describe either natural canines that have learned or evolved an optional bipedal posture or mysterious canine lookalike entities born of forces that we little understand. I rather hope it's the former. Which brings us to our last discussion question. Now, I want to take a step back and discuss this book in its totality. Unlike many of the books we have covered on the show, this book was much heavier on witness anecdote and lighter on theorizing. While one must applaud Godfrey's insistence that none of the stories in this book constitute proof, and she's right, I am still curious as to how books like this might help us approach the truth and the place witness anecdotes have in paranormal research. Do you believe that there is value in books like this that may help us better understand our anomalous world? 
Or do books like this equate to nothing more than spooky campfire stories, entertaining, but ultimately not useful in the pursuit of truth? So <clears throat> I, I actually really like this question because I think that there is a lot of weight and a lot more weight should be held on witness testimony and eyewitness accounts than what the paranormal community is currently putting on them. And the reason is because too much of the paranormal community has this mindset that it has to be hard data, okay? If we think about it from another perspective, in the court of law, an eyewitness testimony is huge. Mm-hmm. An eyewitness testimony is everything. I think uh, when uh, on the Paranormal Burrito, when we were talking to you, Caleb, I pointed out that we have sentenced people to death on eyewitness testimony, even on a single eyewitness testimony. Yeah. And that person could just be lying. So why is it that with this phenomenon specifically, we water down the strength of of witnesses and eyewitness and eyewitness accounts because yeah sure there's some things that could it, it could be you know our brain tricking us it could be this that or the other thing but it is there is too many sightings there's too many people that that have literally thrown their life away for this kind of shit to just say it it it's it's nothing or it's it's not enough because to me, it is enough. Yeah. You know, it, it is enough because there's, there's enough people talking about it that's going to get, the, get the, the other scientists, the other investigators interested in the phenomenon. Or it should be enough to get those people interested in it, to get them to start doing other research to help back it up. But, I mean, witness testimony goes back forever on this kind of stuff. Literally forever. And why, why are like, I, even the, uh, the author of this book, uh, Godfrey repeatedly says it throughout the book that it's, you know, it's just eyewitness testimony. You know, it's not evidence. And I disagree. It, it is evidence. Is it hard and is it hard line, you know, going to be enough to convince the president evidence? No, but that's because everybody wears a skeptic hat and nobody wants to have fun. Well, I, and I'll, I will say also, I think the, um, the impulse to disregard witness testimony uh, is largely rooted in, uh, I guess, our uh, the human animal's resistance towards accepting that they were wrong about the nature of the world. And what I mean by that is if someone comes in telling me they saw something which I genuinely believe is impossible, it is easier for me to say they're a liar or they missaw it than for me to have to do the hard work of, uh, I guess, adjusting how I see the world. Um, And one other thing I I will point out, and this is just something I think about in general, more often about UFOs, but I think it applies to Dogman and other cryptids as well. I am very interested in the possibility that, you know, we're all a lot of the paranormal community, the UFO community, they're looking for, again, like Rory said, that hard proof, that evidence. And I, I there's a part of me that does wonder what if the truth doesn't fit the paradigm that they're looking for? What if they're trying to force a a square peg into a round hole in the sense of, you know, what if it is psychical in nature where we are projecting onto it as much as it's coming into our world in that case? There is no uh, there is no device 
that can be built that will mimic, at least right now, that will mimic that connection, that can measure it. And so we will only ever have witness testimony. Um, and, and I think until you can start entertaining theory, I think once you start entertaining theories like that, the whole idea of obtaining proof of uh, of being able to go on the five o'clock news and say, hey, I prove Bigfoot is real. It becomes much more nebulous. I, I honestly suspect that if we do get proof, it will not it will be more of a spiritual thing than it will be a, uh, you know, this is a new animal we found. I, you know, <clears throat> kind of building on that, I just I, I really, really hope one day that the paranormal community or the investigators that are that are active within the community get away from the idea that I have to be one the one to solve the capital P phenomena, whatever it might be, because no individual is ever going to solve it because it's greater than us. Yeah. We'll only do it all of us working together. E- exactly. And if it if it is anything like I suspect it might be until we get to a uh a greater consciousness as a society, not as an individual, but as a society, a world society, we're never going to have the answers. Yeah. And I, I'm, and I mean, if John Keel is right, and again, it's a big, if, if John Keel's theories are right, we will literally never know the answers because the phenomenon will refuse to let us get them. And us continuing to chase it will only build upon it further. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Uh, I, I, we haven't heard from Jay or Caleb yet on this. Um, I, I, I do think there's absolutely value in eyewitness testimonies like this just because it's the only thing we have to work with right now. Um, we don't we don't have a body. We don't have a we don't have an interdimensional dogman explorer going into going into Congress and saying like, all right, we've collected enough data. You can interview me now. <laughs> it's like, which I think would be, I, it's, would I ever stop drinking after that? I don't think I would. Um, so right now, this is the only thing that we have to work with and we have to work with the data that we're given. It's like we, you know, we used to study the stars with literally only telescopes, not these fucking, I don't know what the hell it is, sonar and magnets at the same time somehow that they fucking shoot off into the sky. And then they're like, that's a black hole over there. And I'm like, they have to do it at the peak of their own personal orgasm. Otherwise, they'll never see it. I don't know what kind of science you guys are practicing, but I don't want to go to any of your parties anymore. Anyway, um, scooting past what my spouse said. Yeah, it's like I don't we don't have fucking sonar magnets right now of that we've shot at the dogmen and go like, yep, that's the thing. Um, So, yeah, like I said, these are this is the only shit that we have to work with right now. And this is what we've chosen to study. So play with the hand you're dealt. Yep. Caleb, what do you think? Okay, I was debating whether not to bring this up, but I think it's a pretty important topic. Um, If we're going to look at what Rory said in um, the sense that when something truly unbelievable comes up, people will find any type of excuse to not believe said thing. Okay. We have several live examples of this going on in today's modern society. 
we have coronavirus, which is a very scary thing. Scared the shit which out of is, arguably every person alive in this whole world. Or they should have. And, and, th- and it is 100% real. Let's take a hard stance on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But then you have the people who are arguably so scared of it that they're going the opposite way and saying, no, 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 no. That's not real. To use another example from our modern society, we have, unfortunately, a lot of women that come out and say, I've been sexually abused. And we have a lot of people who aren't willing to accept that that's a reality that a lot of our women are sexually abused and they'll make up anything to say that's not a thing. You're tell you're an eyewitness telling me that this happened and I'm going to say, mm, no. So to, I guess, conclude my point here is as shitty as those examples are, it is human nature to look at something that's scary or unbelievable or heinous, like in the case of women being sexually abused or anybody being sexually abused and say, mm, no, that's too scary. That's too much for me to process. I'm going to say no. Yeah. I'm going to deny this. It's it's human nature. Yeah, I think there is absolutely a um, a natural reaction to fear or to something that is scary uh, to going um, no, you know, outright. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to acknowledge that. I'm not going to accept it. But how -hmm. much of that can be assisted to be, or how much can we help overcome that by being more open-minded as a society? Mm -hmm. Right. By collecting stories. Exactly. Which by making people comfortable to tell our stories, which arguably we're doing with our podcasts and the people are doing by writing these books like Linda. And it's just it's really interesting to me, like we were saying at the start of this episode, um, we're living in a time where I mean, you could go on Twitter right now and see what's happening in Israel. Mm -hmm. Like it's we have this instant information sharing and we are saving all of this data. And I think that's an important experiment that's going on right Mm -hmm. now is these old ways of people saying, I don't want my whole view of reality to change is just completely shattering. And I think people are trying to hold on to that last bastion of this is the way the world is. And I can't accept anything else versus the people who are like, you need to have this paradigm shift. And I think people like younger generations are more apt to be like, I've had a paradigm shift every day since like, since I graduated high school, like just seeing something that's like, oh my God, my perspective on most things is wrong. Like I think that we're getting to a point in society, like you were mentioning that maybe we can start to accept the fact that there is these, this value in an eyewitness. There is this value, like you were saying in the podcast, when you came on my podcast, there's so many of these stories is really everyone going to be fake, you know? Well, and and that's the thing. Um, 
like looking at this book, there are, I think I counted somewhere in the, in the vicinity of upwards of 80 encounters listed throughout this book. And only one of them has to be real for the dog man or werewolf to be real. Exactly. And like that, I can't get past that math. Odds are it's a thing in my mind uh just because i don't i find it more likely that there is some element of this world we don't understand that manifests as an upright werewolf creature than i believe that every single person in this book is either a liar a fraud or stupid right no i agree with you i absolutely agree Mm -hmm. with you i just i don't Mm -hmm. think people tell lies like that nearly as often as some people want us to believe just because it gets to a certain point or if it's like what did he gain Right. What did he gain exactly. by making this shit up? Like, right. well, and that's and that's that's exactly it. It's like there are people that have literally thrown their lives away for this shit. Like mm-hmm. they aren't gaining anything from this. In fact, they are losing everything. Look at Bob Lazar in the eyes and tell me he's a happy man. Right? No, that, and that's a gr- that's a great example. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. And I, I think that that is. Uh, I think that is an appropriate uh, point to transition into our about the author. Yeah. You were talking about Linda. I do have a little bit about her. Um, although I will say, like some of our other authors, there was not a lot available out there regarding her life story or uh, her her <laughs> hobbies or her home address or a list of her fears. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We will we will never stalk the authors on this on this uh, show. Now, Linda Yet. Godfrey was formerly. A I new- might try to get in contact with her. She'd be an interesting interviewee oh, subject. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Do it. Absolutely do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I'll listen. Yeah. All right. So, Linda Godfrey was formerly a newspaper reporter in the small town of Delavan, Wisconsin, where she won several first place national awards from the National Newspaper Association for best feature stories on major social topics. Then her life took a turn for the strange when she began to publish articles about the infamous Beast of Bray Road case. From what I've gathered, her coverage of those sightings resulted in hundreds of people writing her with their own reports of upright canines. This kicked off a 30-year-long career of investigation and speculation of the strange. Uh, She is the nation's only, to my knowledge, acknowledged expert on werewolves and upright canines, about which she has authored four books. Uh, She has written 14 uh, 14 other books as well, most of which have to do with cryptids, monsters, and high strangeness, and werewolves and dogmen come up a lot. Uh, She also wrote the Weird Michigan book, which I actually didn't know because I've owned that book for a long time. (laughs) Um, I pulled it out. I was like, oh, yeah, there, there she is. Uh, she has appeared in TV's Monster Quest, Fox News, Sci-Fi's In Search Of, ABC's Scariest Places in the World, Expedition X, and dozens of other shows and documentaries on the Stranger Paranormal. And she frequents the Paranormal Convention uh, lecture scene, including our own Michigan Paracon, which the three yeah. of us were lucky enough to get to go to recently. And uh, and that's pretty much all I could find on her. Uh, but that said, um, I think that, you know, I, I did get the sense reading this book that she is not. Um, I mean, yeah, she's a, she's a competent writer. I didn't wasn't enthralled by her writing, but I don't think that was the point here. It was right. more presenting these cases and then giving some conjecture and leaving with uh, leaving with a few of her personal thoughts spliced in there but largely it's again this felt more like a curated collection of information than it did a cohesive uh, book yeah as you would say from a literary perspective not my favorite book but I still I still enjoyed it and I really enjoyed uh, especially the latter latter portions of the book where she was talking about all the different potential theories 
And overall, like uh, this book radically uh, changed one of my memories. So there we are. We are going to watch Rory turn into an actual crazy person as the show goes on. That is probably true. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I often sit back after I do an interview for my podcast and I'm just like, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> this way just lies madness. And then I book my next guest. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> that, that, that's about right. Yeah. That's uh, that is the world we're in because there are times when I look at the books we have planned because we have like we have a parking lot of like 25 books right now that are their parking lot is basically books we know are coming up, but we don't know what date they're going. Cause we don't know. Only, yeah. Yeah. We typically only plan six episodes ahead. Yep. Um, but that said, I sometimes look at that parking lot and some of the books that are in there. And then I go and read the synopsis on Amazon. I'm just like, Oh Jesus Christ. No, <laughs> I, with, with, I don't want this to happen, but I know it's going to happen to me and I'm just going to have to suffer through it. Every time, every time <laughs> yes, they are, every time Nick clicks on one of the books I've suggested and it's then the summary starts with a shocking murder. No, you know, it, that, <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. It's either a shocking murder or a demonic haunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I'm excited about the book you picked up at Paracon about shadow people. That's yes, going to be fun when we by, get to that. Uh, Mike Ricksetter. Yeah, and we'll be getting to that uh, at some point soon. But anyway, regarding this episode where we are right now, um, Caleb, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that was everyone give it up for the paranormal burrito. That was Woo! awesome. Thank you. Um, we do have a bit of housekeeping we need to take care of real quick. Including you. Let's start with you, in fact. So where can our listeners find you so that they can go be fans of your show too? Yeah. Um, you can find me wherever fine podcasts are sold. Um, Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, you know, all those fun podcast places. All, all the places. Um, <laughs> if you have any spooky stories, um, whether it be about cryptid, cryptids, cryptids, whether it be about cryptids, Quidditch, conundrums, qualifications. Caleb's having a stroke on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this would happen. <laughs> this is what we get for trying to branch out. <laughs> I told you, stay in the basement. Be grateful we're alive. You two are why we don't have friends. We have friends. <laughs> we have weird friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm friends and with my I, dog. I feel like I'm one of those weird friends by you, this point. You so are. Thank no, you. absolutely. Um, <laughs> welcome to whatever this is. Yeah. W- welcome yeah. to whatever weirdness we are. Yeah. Yes. I'm still inviting myself to your Treasure Island wedding. Uh, that's fine. Um, you can yeah, I, you can crash <laughs> it. That That's cool. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, you can find me uh, Spotify. If you have any spooky stories, whether it be like um, Rory's story about cryptid, crypt, God, I almost said it again, cryptids, um, paranormal encounters, anything like, I'd like to say, like, if you don't think you have a paranormal story, I think you do. Yeah. And come on the podcast and just let's talk. Yeah. Like a lot of my best guests have been like, I don't have ever anything. And I'll be talking to them and they'll be like, I did have this weird dream once. And then they'll go into like their grandma, like hugging them for the last time. And it's just like, that was an amazing story. And that would have never been recorded. Had you not like come on and been brave. 
So you can email me always um, at theparanormalburrito at gmail.com. That's it all spelled out. Or you can contact me at TPBpod on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, as Truth. anybody who follows me will attest to. Um, can so, attest. <laughs> as the Twitter active is, one of the three of us on Twitter, I, uh, I can attest to that because we engage all the time on Twitter. Yes, we do. Twitter has become a small addiction of mine and the paranormal burrito has become more of my personal account than about the podcast, but you can still follow me on there and just bask in my randomness and chaos. But um, yes, I'm always available on Twitter or via email. And like I said, you can listen to my podcast pretty much anywhere that you listen to this podcast. So that's my spiel. Oh, I do have another podcast called That's Not Fair, the game show, where we take subjective questions and we um, judge them. So I have a panel of guests like, wait, wait, don't tell me style. And um, we take a question like, where did you grow up? And somebody will say Denver, somebody will say Chicago. And then the panel of judges will be like, well, I like Chicago better than Denver. I like Denver better than Chicago. And then based on those subjective opinions, the guests win points. Okay. Given to them by the judges. That sounds cool. Yeah, that that is cool. Yeah. You guys are more than welcome on. I don't know when I'm having the next game night, but I will invite you to that. Hell yeah. It's usually on weekends. Yeah, let us know. So, yeah. um, yes, that's fun. And it feels, and it fulfills my narcissistic desire to be a game show host. So <laughs> two birds, one stone. <laughs> that's funny. I never anyway, even thought about um, a game show podcast. That'd be fun. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and everybody says they have a blast. So I will invite you guys to the next show whenever I have that. I only have two episodes out now and I release it via Anchor. So that's not necessarily everywhere, but it's definitely on Spotify if you want to find that. That's not fair. The game show it should be on all the major ones through Anchor. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it is. I got to look it up and see if it's on Apple yet. Anyway, um, sorry, I talked long, but that's that's everything <laughs> we always talk long don't worry about it yeah as for, as for us if you have any book requests if you have any comments concerns general swear words or i don't know a cool story you can email us at noctivianpodcast at gmail.com and you can always con- you can always get a hold of us on twitter or uh, on twitter at noctivianpod or i'm at mix roy wicks i'm at bearish terror I'm at Midwest Undead. And then I also started an Instagram account for the podcast. That's Noctivian underscore podcast. There will be pictures of pets. And please, if you have a moment, even a small moment, go and rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, It really does matter to us. We really want to know what you guys think and what we can do to improve the show because we are doing this for you to soothe your injured ear holes. And also for me because I'm a narcissist. please rate it five stars, guys. Even if you hate it, just rate it five stars because... Honestly, we're all independent podcasters here Mm -hmm. and we're going to see those reviews and literally everyone goes straight to our heart. So (laughs) five stars, please, because we are fragile beings as podcasters. (laughs) Give me the validation I never received from the American school system. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
All right. Well, uh, Caleb, thanks for coming on. This was a blast. Yeah. Coming up next, we have The Uninvited by Stephen Lachance, which Jay is going to lead us on another romp through the world of demonic infestation. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's fucking ghosts. Yeah. uh, I started the book today. I'm enjoying it so far. Why don't you guys take a chance on Stephen Lachance? (gasps) Oh, I like that. Oh, and also, uh, as an update, we are going to have another special guest in the next episode. We are going to be joined by the folks over at the Morbid Forest, Mm -hmm. a uh, horror anthology podcast that we have been enjoying. So uh, It's not me, so it won't be as great, but whatever. (laughs) Unfortunately, no. (laughs) But you will be back now that you've assigned yourself to... uh, I have assigned myself to a certain book that I'm excited about. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's our show. So good night, ghosties. Good night, ghoulies. Good night, moth people. Stay safe on those midnight roads, people. Stay safe out there. Stay safe. Don't get lost. And remember, wolf people are absolutely the wolfen ones. No!